paint the fucking world. 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 Welcome to Paint the Fucking World, a podcast for artists by artists. My name is Visual Assault. I'm here with my co-host Nolan, and we are joined by David Ketcherside. How are we doing today, David? I'm doing fantastic. Awesome. Um, well, I'm just going to jump right into it and get this going, and uh, we'll uh, we'll just go on with the uh, the first question here. Uh, I know you are uh, you live in Seattle. Were you born and raised there? Born and raised in Seattle. Yep. Born and raised, is it Washingtonian? Am I getting that it's right? Washingtonian is correct, yes. Okay, just kind of like, you know, I, I'm right down below you with Oregonian, so I thought it was close. Uh, so you were there during the whole grunge explosion. I was. Actually, I yeah, I graduated high school in 89. Um, I was playing in a band at that point because we were underage, so, you know, playing bars and all that, we're not, uh, we'd go play our, our little slice of the gig and then, as soon as our gig was over, we had to leave the bar or go out the outside to watch it. But yeah, I got to all through the nineties, man. I played in a few bands and got to see a lot of cool music uh, and see the whole scene take off. It was, it was pretty unbelievable. I bet. Like, and who do you have any like notable stories from the, the larger bands that took off there? Like Pearl Jam and Nirvana, Soundgarden, those. Well, I, I've never, I, I didn't get to see them play like at the small clubs. Uh, I started seeing them just after they started getting bigger. But what we would do is uh, when you were out going to see other music, you would see the band members just hanging out. So like for one instance, uh, there was a friend of ours that had a band. It was a Cheap Trick cover band. I didn't okay. know Eddie Vedder is a huge Cheap Trick fan. So we actually okay. opened for them. Um, and, and then they came on and someone points out like, hey, Eddie Vedder is sitting over in the audience. I'm like, what? So sure enough, he's sitting over there. And so our friend's up there playing guitar, and he's hanging out, and he, Eddie Vedder comes to the front, and he flicks a, a, a pick at him. And Eddie Vedder catches it just like a fan, and is freaking out. And it was pretty cool. No so shit, that's awesome. Like, like Jeff Ament, you'd go to see Red House Painters or Grantley Buffalo, and uh, Jeff Ament's hanging out there. Or So the most disgusting one was R.E.M. I got to see Michael uh, Stipe pick his nose. So... <laughs> <laughs> He was, I mean, it was at the it was at the Crocodile Cafe. They had like this little uh, like a little theater booth that could sit up and kind of watch the show. And we were checking out that he was back there. And I just happened to turn around and catch it. And I'm like, ah, I guess he's he's people like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, mean, I guess there's worse things you could have seen him do. But uh, yeah, uh, that, yeah. that, now, what did you play when you were when you were in the bands? Like, uh, what was your uh, you know your, your drummer? Drummer, drummer. Yeah. So drummer, we, drummer. the first band out of high school played, we, we didn't know who we were. So we played like heavy metal, punk, jazz, fusion. We like had all this stuff and we're all over the board for a few years. And then uh, the next band I was in after that, there was two, one of them was a cover band. So we play cheap trick Beatles, uh, Bowie, all that kind of stuff. And the last one was uh, kind of a pop, uh, like a Beatlesque, uh, cheap trick, uh, ass type of band, uh, all original music and stuff and that i played in that one all the way into 98. okay so you uh you like when did you stop playing music was that like uh when the, when you you know became a father or well close so i 
the band had kind of kept going. One of the guys had left. Um, we were trying to decide whether we'd keep going or not. We had some success locally and, and played a couple of showcases. Like uh, other kind, uh, one part, we went back to Boston to play one of the showcases. And we just kind of got to the point where things were just kind of on a treadmill. And I decided I was about to get married. And I decided maybe this is time to set this chapter aside and then go find another lucrative career in art. And I'll go to art school because I got to make a lot of money doing that. Okay. Um, do you play any other instruments besides drums or? Um, well, so early on I've, I played in a jazz band. I played in orchestra. So I played timpani, had played some bells and xylophone, kind of all percussion instruments. I played a bunch of different genres, all types. So now, now who is your favorite drummer? Oh, now that's a that's a tough question. <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of feel you like you're like, like almost the Neil Peart guy. I'll give you my top three. So Neil Peart. Is I was Peart. thinking the same. If, if he's not uh, a drum deity, I don't know who is. <laughs> then you have your buddy Rich, because Buddy Rich was the man. He would you just can't beat him. And then for drum uh, for the grunge era, I'd go with uh, uh, Matt Cameron who played with Soundgarden and now with Pearl Jam. Yeah. And then Dave Grohl, because Dave Grohl was, he yeah. was like the Ringo of the group. He was solid. He was right in there. Uh, he got chastised for not doing a lot of fancy stuff, but he he knew what he had to do, and he drove that music well. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a huge Dave Grohl fan. I mean, yeah. I think mostly everything that guy touches is gold. Uh, oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's yeah, one no, of those guys, sure. if I find out that he's a real douche, I'm going to be super mad at the world because – he looks like a nice guy, and I'm hoping he always just turns out to be a nice guy. I don't, yeah, I don't think he is. Um, is. Like, seeing the interviews and stuff and just, like, the, how he talks and his philosophy, I don't really think yeah. he is a douche. I think he's pretty grounded. Uh, now, yeah, I think he's he's been through some heartache, so he's he kind of yeah. knows what it's like on both sides of that. Sure, yeah. Now, I kind of feel like Marco is uh, getting ready to join the Ramones here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> call him Joey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so this was like a thing that completely failed and that's the first thing i thought up to i'm like dude i don't even look like that i look like i look like i'm gonna go join a ramones cover tribute band <laughs> yeah. but no i told Mark i told everybody ramones. on the live i was like okay how many of you guys if i try to straighten my hair and go full on emo how many would actually watch and everybody like went <laughs> i'm like all right all right so I asked my girlfriend to straighten my hair. You guys should have seen her face. She was like super happy and completely over this. Uh, so she tried, man. My hair is way too damn curly. <laughs> Got my this beanie. I tried to do it. I don't have any emo stuff. My sister lent me some some <laughs> bracelets and all that. You gotta talk with more sadness and be more sullen, and that's the problem. Uh, that has to be a little darker. You have to be really like uh, uh, yeah, a little more sullen, a little I more sullen, a little less Nolan. Right. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. Well, uh, keeping on the music thing, um, you know, I know you're a musician and you love music. You're often, I, I know your work, your music choices are all over the place in your videos, but does music play a big influence, you know, within your artwork? It does. It, a lot of influence. So some of the art I do is based off of a song that I've heard. So it could be a TikTok trend. It may be just something I hear in the radio. And then you know, I get like that visual flash of a, an idea or something and the music comes out of there. Or when I'm just kind of freeform sketching, I just have uh, like a Pandora random stuff going of music. And then that kind of, that kind of lends towards what I'm drawing and what I do. So I, I, I can't, I, 
it's hard for me to understand people who don't like music. And I actually have one of my kids is not a big fan of music. And it, and it, it I don't understand. I, I don't get it because it has been my soul and heartbeat for since I started playing drums in like fifth grade. And it's just yeah. like music, music, music. Definitely. I, I mean, I, I don't even know that was a thing. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, people don't like well, my music. dad was a huge, my dad was a huge fan of music. And so, like when I grew up working around the house or uh, we actually, my first car is a 1956 Pontiac. So we built it starting at like 16 years old and it was hanging out with my dad in the garage, listening to CCR and Elton John nice. um, and Waylon Jennings and all this different, you know, different types of music. And that, I think that really fed into that too. Sure. I mean, I grew up listening to like uh, Bob Seger and the Eagles and that that's really where my, uh, my love of music came from. Uh, and then, you know, as I grew older, I evolved into my own styles and tastes, but I still have a special place in my heart for all those, that, that music I grew up with, because that was what my parents yeah. listened to, of course. So uh, definitely. Um, while you're creating, what are some of your favorite bands to listen to? Tragically Hip is my go-to. Okay. I don't know if you guys know them all. Big Canadian band. Um, I I follow them since high school. So they're kind of a fallback and they've got music all over the place, but I think kind of, it depends on um, sometimes it depends on mood and what I'm trying to go for. So if I'm, sure. I'm listening to, to, if I'm trying to create a darker piece, I'm not putting Beatles in or anything that's hot, you know, poppy and all that. So I'll go for some darker Metallica or, or something else that, that kind of feeds that. So it kind of depends on the mood for the day. And that, that just changes the artwork. Yeah. I know Marco was saying like he's got to be careful what happens on his playlist because, you know, it it will eventually his art will evolve into something that he wasn't really intending it to evolve into something. If he's got like, I think he said smooth jazz, then goes into like punk rock or metal, <laughs> it just completely changes the whole aspect of the piece. Yeah, um, yeah, which 100%. which can be cool. Um, uh, but the question that I have been asking every artist as we get on the podcast is, uh, you know, most people say they've been creating since childhood. When would you say that you started taking your artwork seriously? That's a good question. You know, uh, I have been creating since uh, childhood, but it wasn't until, it wasn't until uh, I went to art school uh, in my late twenties, really, that I started deciding I wanted to try to do something with it. You know, I, I created all my life as a kid. I was the one that, you know, drew all over my my test and my assignment papers and would get marked down because I was writing in the margins or passing notes and drawing with other people. And then like in high school, I had these these moments where I got big into cartooning because uh, I could make people laugh with it. I would draw these funny caricatures of things, you know, using like the Bilba cat as a reference or something, and then people sure. would crack up at it. Um, so I, I always enjoyed doing it, but I was kind of taught that you can't make money as an artist. So when I graduated high school. I'm like, well, art school is not for me. And so I went on and got something practical as a degree and then never used it. Went into music and, and all that. So it wasn't really until I, I went to art school that I tried to make a serious run at it. And that kind of fizzled out even after art school. So really, it was about two and a half, three years ago is when I started getting back into this introduction back into TikTok and meeting artists in here uh, and started making community where I started uh, getting interested again and really putting effort in and trying to make a run at it and, and do something with it. 
Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, you know, my story where, it, you know, I, I, I went to art school as well and, you know, I took some time off and then TikTok really kind of changed everything for me. So, uh, you know, and while I wanted to take it serious, I don't think I was ready. I was at that point in my life to take it serious. Yeah. So the, you know, the pandemic was kind of that push for me. Um, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like in the last two or three years, it's just kind of changed the whole scope of uh, my artistic career. So well, uh, like I, I remember 2018, I did the Inktober and didn't uh -huh. quite complete it. So then 2019, I decided, all right, I'm going to complete Inktober this year. This is my goal. I'm going to do something. And so like the month rolling into that, I started practicing, warming up, doing it every day and was posting that on TikTok and started making these art connections with people. So then I did, I did Inktober and drew every day. And then I rolled out of Inktober and kept going. So then 2020 came up and I said, all right, my goal for this year is I, you know, I'm going to set myself a, a goal that I'm going to draw every day. And I want to have something specific goal that I'm aiming for. That's why I did, did the a teapot challenge, a teapot a day. I said, that's something that I, um, I, I think I can achieve. And so I managed to do that. And so that was, it was a big push. And part of that was meeting artists, getting feedback from people, um, getting that support and feeling like, all right, I, I'm moving in the right direction with this. So, yeah, I was actually going to ask about that. Um, I don't know if Tyler already had a question revolving around that, but I was very interested in, first of all, it's a very unique thing, at least for me teapots you know and you customize them for a certain way uh whether it's for like a follower or a specific theme and i really enjoy watching you transform these things but why teapots i feel like you already answered this question and i must have missed the video but why teapots uh, i, I was wondering the same thing why teapots <laughs> so, out of all the things you could have drawn in the world right why teapots so <laughs> so there's a there's another tiktoker his name is yonimation and he started out the year, he said he was going to draw a different turtle a day. So this comes out of a couple of things. It's the whole idea of a 10,000 drawings rule, right? If you draw something 10,000 times, you're going to get good at it. If you keep going, you keep drawing, you keep creating, you can do nothing but get better. And then like in art school, we'd learn to take objects and redraw it or redesign it uh, multiple times. Even though you see an orange is an orange, well, how many times can you redraw the same orange and make it look different? So or how many I times you redraw it until you go crazy? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so I was trying to come up with an object, and my wife is a big tea drinker. So we're sitting around, and I was trying to explain to her what I was going to do. And I'm like, I, I need to draw something, like like a teapot or something. She's like, all right, do teapots. And I went, huh, that's interesting. And so I kind of looked online and saw, like, there's there's massive amounts of teapots that are drawn out there. Um, lots of companies do that. So I said, uh, you know what? That's that's my object. Uh, you know, it was fine for a while. There was kind of mid-year where it got difficult. And I got behind in doing teapots because I kind of ran out of uh, ideas. Mm -hmm. And then I started, I looked at it as I'm trying to look at an object, redesigning an object. I need to think of it as doing it in different mediums and doing the negative space around it and using paint in a different way. And so I just started playing with it more and it kind of got me back into doing it. Um, and the other thing, I mean, as artists, one of the things that we do is we have this drawing and we have expectations on ourselves on the drawing that we're making. And it has to be, it has to be this good and it has to be this. With the teapots, I knew, you know what, I'm just going to do this. And no matter how, how it comes out, I'm going to, I'm just, it's going to be what it is. Good, bad, or indifferent, I don't care. It's the process of doing it. And I'm not going to focus on the final product. And that helped me 
you know, focused on just drawing itself too. And and you got to three sixty five. I got to three sixty five. My last two are getting posted tomorrow. Okay. Dang. But you hit three sixty five. I'm kind of yep. in that same journey right now, but I'm drawing. I mean, I'm be straight up honest. I don't I don't get to draw every day. I'm a full time dad, so uh, I don't get to draw every day. But I'm doing um, a sketch for every day, but it's a different sketch. But so I'm kind of in that same vein with my zine, which you were featured in that first or the, the second one. Um, but yeah, I uh, it, it's it can be challenging. Like I had a bad dash at the end of last month, end of last year to try to get my zine done. And I was able to do it with three days to go, but it got pretty stressful. Um, so, yeah, I, well, I, I know how it goes. And that's one of the things I, I kind of. I came to this realization that I, I want to hold myself accountable and I want to be able to make these goals, but it's not life or death. If I don't make right, the goal, right. it, it's not, it's not that big. It's not that it's not a big deal. I mean, I certainly would be disappointed to a point, but the world's going to keep going and that, that I, you hold yourself to expectations, but you don't kill yourself over the fact that you don't make those. You just take it, you move it and you keep going forward. That's sure. the only way as an artist, you can just keep, keep creating and keep moving forward. I think like a lot of people and I hope, uh, you know, pe the people that are listening to this actually can take that, analyze it and hopefully put it in their philosophy. Cause I, I myself even struggle with that. Part of the reason why I don't do the whole 30 days, uh, uh the, um, uh, what is it? The, uh, 30 days of October, the little spooky drawings, right. Or any kind of challenges like that, because I'm already in my head expecting failure. So I'm like, okay, I'm not even going to try. Uh, I'll go draw my own stuff, you know? So that's actually really, really cool, and uh, I hopefully I can mold that into my own philosophy at one point and being able to be okay with possibly failing. You know, the, the right. one thing I learned in college was to really how to cheat. So uh, when it came to October, I started in September. <laughs> and I, had, I was halfway done by the time October hit. <laughs> so um, that's the one big thing I learned about or, or that I learned in college was how to cheat. So yeah, if well, my professors ever watch this, sorry. <laughs> All these things that everybody tells you, oh, that's not art if you're tracing it or if you're using this as a background, you're reusing it. You know what? It doesn't, none of that. There is no cheating. There is creating and there's final product. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways that the masters and everybody else has cheated over the years to get where they're going and so it's really more the final product that you're aiming towards and not yeah. not how you get there yeah right. absolutely um you know back to the going to school you know did you specifically go for uh art in general or did you have a, a specific medium or um... well it was i went to the art institute and it was for animation arts and design so it was computer animation is what i was aiming for and i know what started it it was when star wars special edition came out and I was looking to go to, to go back to school, and I saw all those extra uh, tie fight fighters and, and X-Wings, and I'm like, ooh, that would be cool. And so I went, and really what I discovered by the time I graduated there is that the computer animation stuff wasn't really my thing. Like it, pushing the pixels around and worrying about, you know, vertices and all that, that wasn't – I the, the classes that I really enjoyed was all the traditional art. It was the life drawing. It was painting. It, that was the stuff that I really enjoyed. Sure. You know, when I went to college, my initial reason for going into art was photography. 
And I, I've, while I've done a lot of photography over the years, it's not my passion anymore. Yeah. Um, it's fun, but it's a hobby. You know, it's hard to make money off of that. And I love to paint. So I know like changing directions while I was in school was, um, it was interesting, but it, I was like, oh man, I love painting. I absolutely yeah. love painting. There, there is something when you have a brush and canvas or paper, or whatever, that, that tech, that tactile feeling of actually painting and moving stuff around, you know, although I do a lot of digital art and I enjoy that too, it does, to me, it doesn't beat the hands-on physical part of painting. Yeah, I got to agree with that. Um, and that's just like, I think some, we were talking about that too. And I feel like most of the traditional artists uh, feel like that. And it's just, like it's almost hard uh, transitioning from traditional to digital sometimes because of that, you need that texture. You need that thing like bouncing back at you fighting, almost fighting against you, you know, like you're feeling the texture, you're feeling the, the teeth or the tooth of whatever it is, whatever surface you're using. And then you go to this really soft thing. That's not giving you any kind of feedback at all. And you're just like, Oh, this is weird. Uh, I had a, I struggled using regular tablets until I got the iPad. The iPad I feel like has done, mm -hmm a great job at helping interpret interpreting those movements. Uh, but no, I agree. I can't, like I could do digital all day, but there's just something about feeling the paint, um, like paint knives. I love using paint knives just because of how those feel, you know, I guess I'm like a real tactile individual, but no, I agree 100% man. There's, you can't, you can't just not go back to the, to the original stuff. Well, I started with acrylic and I, struggled with it because I'm kind of a perfectionist and I like to control everything and I could control it too well and it just didn't so I actually flipped over to watercolor because I knew there was a me trying to control everything you can't control watercolor the same way there's a certain amount of mistakes yeah. and natural flow to the the medium that happens and so right and I found that I actually liked it it, it like I can't control everything and some of this you have to work with what you get and then try to keep pushing it and get to where you want but it's not going to come out you, you, it's not a picture from your head right to the picture uh, to the paper and I kind of like that a lot yeah and, and what I like about watercolor is sometimes you can build up textures within the watercolor as well with the way it dries mm -hmm. so yeah. that's that's always really fun um, to be able, you know, you'll do a layer and let it dry, and then come back and do some more layers, and you got these yeah. like cloudy type shapes that you never know how they're going to dry. You know, when it's wet, you, 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 I mean, there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, you can do a little bit in there to kind of uh, coax it one way or the other, but there's yeah. a lot of unpredictability with it. I, that's why I like spray paint a lot too. There's, you know, there's some unpredictability with that as well. Yeah, yeah that's well, what you that's paint or like paper, right? Year. Yeah. I like to try that and get into that kind of that random that that randomness that can be created through using spray paint and, and that kind of medium too. Definitely. Um, I, is there any other mediums that you work with? Because I mean, mostly what we see on your TikTok and what you post on your social media is uh, either watercolor or digital. And I have seen like I think you worked with acrylic when you did your cutouts. Am I correct there? Yep, I've done acrylic. So yeah. But, man, the big wood cutouts that I've done uh, have all been with acrylic and house paint and whatever I could get as cheap as humanly possible. Like all that yeah, wood yeah. is recycled wood. It's all uh, paint that I could get like the sample jars you get out at home Depot for a buck. I'll pick those up and use all those. 
I'm sure. looking up. There's another artist on here, Mike Bennett, uh, down in Portland, who does the big cutouts and do, put them out in the neighborhood. And that was the summer of 2020 when things were just trash. And I'm like, I I need to put some positivity back out into the world. There's so much negativity. The only thing I could think of is I kind of look at what Mike Bennett was doing and said, I'm doing that. So I would I would do these cutouts and put some positive messaging on them, and then just screw them up to uh, telephone poles in the neighborhood and see how long they last before someone would take one. And then I would put another one out there. Like everybody was out walking and jogging to get exercise and be away from everyone. So I would put these keep going. You're doing great type of signs out there and do cartoon characters and things. So that was kind of my that was my way to keep some sanity during that. Summer. So you're almost like a, a little bit of a graffiti artist in that, that aspect that you were, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Judas Priest says breaking the law there. Breaking, breaking the law. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't going on private property, but I, I didn't know. I'm like, so I didn't sign anything because like, if somebody does grab this, I don't want them to come to knock on my door and write me tickets. So <laughs> I put all this stuff out there and no friends of mine started to figure out it was me, but not everybody knew it was me. So I would just put them out um, and then see how long they last. And uh, it's funny. There's a Fred Meyer up in Redmond, Washington. And one of the first ones I did went outside the hospital and it was kind of where I work. And it was this positive sign for everybody coming in. And then it disappeared one day, and I was great. I was shopping at this Fred Meyer, and I walked back to use the bathroom, and it said, thank you for being here. And someone had taken that sign, and it was in the Fred Meyers, and they had mounted it in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of didn't buy great. it, but I'm not offended, because at least somebody's enjoying it somewhere, and it's doing something Sure. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the artist Wordsmith? It's W-R-D-S-M-T-H. I haven't. So Wordsmith... Um, is a graffiti artist, but he, he was uh, an author beforehand. Oh, okay. Uh, if you don't know him, you really should. So he's, he was kind of, uh, he, he was living in Chicago, or I, I believe in Chicago, but he quit his job and moved to LA and was going to try to make it big as a, as a screenplay writer or, uh, you know, just do his thing. And uh, he needed something to kind of get his mind away from writing at times. So he's like, I love graffiti. I'm going to try it. And so he started doing some research. And he, come, he came up with an idea that he has a, uh, he's got a typewriter stencil. And then he has wheat pastes. And he puts these really positive words of affirmation or just like about love and all these things. So he'd go and spray the, the, the typewriter on there. And then he'd wheat paste up the words above it. And he was putting them all over the place. And the nice. dude is way well known right now for his graffiti art. It's globally than his actual his written <laughs> word. Wow. Uh, you should definitely check him out. It's it's a really cool, uh, you know, very much in the same vein of what you were doing with the positivity. Right. Um, so he's like, you know, I've never been busted, but if they did, I'm just like, I tell him, I'm just trying to put a little bit of love back into this world that, that needs it. So I've always uh, had a lot of respect for graffiti artists and not like just the Yang Sang type of tag tagging stuff, but the stuff that's actual, they're putting effort in it's, and it's art. And it's always impressive, like the control of the can and, and, and how much accuracy they can get. I have, whenever I see it, I've been taking pictures. In fact, a few years ago, my wife and I went to France and there was a lot of really cool graffiti. And I was, she's like, how many pictures of graffiti do you have? I said, I, I think like two or 300. Cause I would just snap them everywhere. Cause I'm like, this stuff is, it was the same, but it had that different feel. You could tell like, this isn't America. This is a foreign country and it has its own 
style and its own flavor to it. Definitely. Yeah, I follow a lot of graffiti artists from around the world. and It's kind of amazing how many graffiti artists travel to different countries to yeah to throw up walls. It's yeah. like here in Eugene, we just did this thing called 20 by 21, which was the, the, we had the Olympic tryouts here. So a group of people went around and got 20 walls that were donated by the business owners and brought in 20 artists from all over the country to throw up these walls that were representation of all the different countries that were coming in. And it was really interesting. Like I actually got to sit and uh, talk with this couple from Brazil and, and I would, I actually went down and watched them paint like two days in a row. And this, it was a huge wall. We're talking probably hundred feet up. They have a, they had a scissor lift and it was just mesmerizing watching them work and bring this whole thing to life. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. The city I, I'm near, I grew up in Burien had, um, they have like a street art fe- or an art festival every summer. And so there's a couple of walls in these alleys where they just started bringing in artists from local Black Rocks Foundation and different groups. And they would change the art out every year and just do all these alleyways. And it's it's amazing. It's fun to just walk there, just walk down the alleys and check out all this really cool art. Like if you were yeah. to drive down the road, you wouldn't know until you took that left down that that back alley. Then you're like, whoa, this <laughs> this is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember they had that stuff back home um, in El Paso as well. But I, I'm what I'm always like kind of uh, saddened about is how, like you just said, you wouldn't know that it was there unless you went down that back alley. Like, man, we got to bring this to the forefront. You know, like I want people to see this on the main street. I don't want to have to go, or I wouldn't want those artists to not be shown. You know what I mean? Because you're yeah. right. There's some graffiti artists out there that are just like, they'll throw up their spray and it's just phenomenal. And um, it's still kind of sad that it's still seen almost at a, as a criminal like, or it's it's got a lot of negativity. But yeah, I, I really wish that it'd be more in the, um, a, a, out in the open. Yeah. Yep. You know, we had, uh, I don't know if you know who Blake Lorette is. But he's kind of pre-Banksy uh, stencil artist from the 70s. Yeah, oh, yeah yep. I, I saw a documentary recently with him in there. So Blake Lerat was one of the artists that got to come in and do a wall in town. Wow. And he not only did one wall, but there are Blake Lerat stencils all over the fucking place. He <laughs> covered this town. And it's so awesome. I mean, he has... <laughs> probably 15 or 20 of them and then he yeah. has probably a 30 by 60 foot wall that he he had that he did as well and it's just a bunch of rats i can't remember exactly what it is but there's a ton of rats on there because that's his thing um but yeah i mean having a notable artist like that who's been around and established in the 70s it brings value back in the city that they brought in these big you know, it's like if you have a Banksy, it, it is literally a, a tourist attraction at that point. And yeah, it, well, right. they do it in England. They they protect the Banksies and that. Yeah. They, they will cover it and protect it and mark it as a, a public attraction. Yeah. Uh, somebody just said David Cho. Uh, David Cho is one of my favorite artists. I kind of fangirled out a little bit 
when I commented on one of his TikToks and he liked it. So I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Because I've been, I've been watching name. David Cho forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He liked my comment. Like, oh God. Yeah. The same thing happened when I, when Kevin Smith liked my tweet. I was like, oh boy. Oh boy. Oh, you yeah, know what? Yeah, that right there is a good question. So, David, what what artist would you have the same reaction to? Like, if you if you commented on something alive or or, or dead, you know, like alive or past. But if you had a if you had an artist that you commented on something and they're like they commented back or they duetted your video because you know TikTok's a thing now or or anything like that, was that artist that would just make you fangirl hard? The one that would make me faint because he doesn't ever reach out is Bill Watterson. Oh, like if, if he commented on something, I, I would close down shop. I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I don't need this. I don't need to have TikTok anymore. I'm good. He commented. He liked, he liked my post. I'm good. Is Bill Watterson still around? He is still around, but he's just oh, gone wow. silent. He doesn't, he quit, he quit doing art. Uh, in fact, there was a documentary made about five, six year, years ago called stripped. If you haven't seen it, you really should. Um, I think it is. And it, yeah. He kind of goes about it talks about older it. some of the older strip comics and some of the newer web comics and that transition. And they actually contacted him and he did the cover for their their DVD for the, the artwork for and poster for the the book, but he just doesn't do art anymore and he doesn't reach out. I think he makes art, he just doesn't make any of it public anymore. Okay. So Bill Watterson's Calvin Hobbs, yeah. Yep, Calvin and Hobbs, yep. Yeah. I, I mean I, I was uh, I was about ninety nine point nine percent sure, but I figured I would double check. Calvin and Hobbs is one of my favorite strip comics of all times. So I have like probably 30. Okay. Home I, I have like, sometimes I have, I forget that I have a book and I'll buy it again. So I have doubles of some of the books because I, yeah, yeah. yeah there, yeah. I grew up on that. All, all those kind of Sunday comics is where I remember getting the back when the paper was still in production and you could get it. My parents would get that every Sunday and I'd rip that out. And that Sunday comics would be my go-to Bible for the week. And then I would find panels and then copy panels you know, Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes or Wizard of Id or Garfield or Heathcliff or whatever there was in there. I was like copying them and practicing and doing all that. Even before like Marvel Comics, it was the Sunday Comics was my thing. Yeah. Yes. Garfield for me was huge. Yeah, he was. Gar I have a bunch of Garfield stuff, too. Still, that was my other. My, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was writing out doing an article right up for my zine on a, a specific comic book and I referenced Doonesbury. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't even know if anybody's gonna get that. But you know, it, that's I remember reading Doomsbury. Yeah, yeah. Younger and and what was the other one? The, the Sergeant. Um, I oh. can't remember what it was. Oh. Um, I know. I can see it. I know what you're talking about. I yeah, me too. It off the top of my head. Well, Farsight. Farsight. Yeah, another far one that was. That's where I learned. Uh, like like some like watching Monty Python and Benny Hill and all this stuff and then watching Far Side is where I got a lot of my odd humor from because I just I, I it was my dad was kind of like that too he had the sarcastic odd sense of humor and so I yeah. always related to that stuff that was that off the wall stuff that comes at you sideways that's what that's what I always got into yeah um, what was the get fuzzy it was always funny oh get well. fuzzy yep yep. <laughs> Archie's, yeah. Archie's, yeah. 
Yeah, so many good um, comics. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I, I'm feeling like I need to bust these out and uh, pull them off the bookshelf <laughs> and, and read them. I think I have a couple out here as well. Um, I, do, you know, I, I do occasionally. Whenever I feel like I'm in a slump, I've got my, my wife. It's the bane of her existence. I have books behind me. Then downstairs, I have an entire like bookshelf just of reference books and comics, like big volumes and all that stuff. Whenever I feel like I'm getting in any kind of slump, I'll pull stuff out and just start flipping through, looking at things and reading right. comics. And that is a surefire way always to spark some kind of inspiration, even if you're just kind of copying off something else, trying to get a feel for. Like, I have a project I want to do this year, um, and Mike Bignola is a style that I want to, I've been practicing towards because I'm imagining the story that I write in that style. So I've been practicing that to try to get more of that vibe in what I'm doing. So. It's reference stuff everywhere. Hellboy esque, huh? Okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to zip it up until I've also learned this is a, a tough lesson. I've had projects in the back of my head for years that I talked too much about them. I told everybody about it and like, oh, this is what this project is. And I found that as at least for me, the more I talk about it, the more I realize it, and then the less I'm likely to draw it. Because now I've let it out into the world. I've talked about it. I've had this thing. And people are like, oh, I'm interested. But then I don't do anything with it. So I kind of figured this project, I, I'm not going to say anything. And I, I want people's first reactions to be when they start to actually see the artwork and see the things that I'm working on and not talk it out of existence. Uh, color me interested and very excited. Same. A little horror aspect to it, too. Oh, well, you definitely have my, uh, my interest there. Uh, but you brought up comics, and, and you and I have talked comics a little bit before, and I've told you uh, that when I look at your, your work, a lot of times I see Scotty Young. Uh, there's a lot of uh, – yeah, I, I, I relate a lot to Scotty Young. He, his stuff, yeah, it's, it's small masterpieces to me, his, his artwork and kind of this um, – it's not super controlled. And maybe Calvin and Hobbes is kind of like that too. Like yeah. uh, peanuts, I always like, but peanuts, like the line weight, is always very static. It's always very solid. It's very assured lines. Where like Bill Watterson and Scotty Young and stuff, it's a little bit more erratic. And even the drawing itself has energy to it without the character even doing anything. And I really like that. I, I like that kind of like I, I sketch this and I'm not going to draw my final lines and this is the piece and they put it out. Yeah, that's interesting. You brought up the line weight, um, you know, because I have tried to draw like probably, you know, five, six years ago, I was trying to draw Calvin and I couldn't get it right. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it's the way that Watterson did his line weights. It, it, it's so hard to replicate that. Uh, and yeah. you do it well. Like, well, and I kind of, I think in the early days, like I said, I read some of these comics. And when I started looking at Bill Watterson stuff, when it came out, and I've always been one, even since I was a kid, I would look at art and try to figure out why it was working. I don't know why. In fact, I got a story. My, my grandmother, every time we hit 10 years old, uh, my grandmother and grandfather lived in West Virginia, and they would fly you out or bring you out for the summer, and then they would take you all around washington dc you got to see the congress in session you got to see all this stuff they would kind of expose you to to the government of the, you know and they would take you to different uh museums and so my grandmother had planned to go into the art the uh, smithsonian arts you know uh smithsonian art institute not in art, but anyways art, art museum um 
And she had kind of planned on, we're going to do the art museum for the first two hours. Then we're going to go do the science. And well, she got me into the first room and I don't even remember the piece. It was one of the masters. And I remember stopping at that piece and staring at it because I suddenly saw the brush, brush strokes where you see pictures of it. You can't see that you'd see the piece, but, and I, it was a, all I remember was a piece with water and I was amazed at how the brush strokes made the piece even feel like the water and the waves were moving. And so she, she joked, she said, we ended up spending the whole day there and we didn't even make it to the whole museum because I just kind of walked and looked at everything. And she said, you know, you had all these adults walking right past you and here's this 10 year old kid stopping and staring at all this art because I was just so mesmerized by it. So I think even with the comics, looking at like the, the Bill Watterson as opposed to peanuts i'm looking at things like well why does this why does this work better and i think it was just this the change in the line weight and this more organic feel to things and i kind of over the years i've adopted that and it just has been something i can't get away from when i try to do solid line weights and i try to make it more static i i suck at it i can't do it (laughs) no that that's interesting i mean at 10 years old you were you were that enthralled like at a painting that's I, I don't think I was like that at 10 years old. I, I wish I could say I was like that at 10 years old. I know Marco at five was out on the corner of the street slinging artwork. So, yeah, I mean, he was, he had of your guys <laughs> I mean, I grew up in a very small town. There's lots of art around, but it just, you know, I didn't get that. I didn't have those experiences. So I'm sitting here just kind of green with envy, like, man. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Angela said she struggles at art museums. My wife and I went to France, and we were at the Louvre for the entire day. Like, I had to spend the whole day there. We didn't make it to all the museums we wanted to, so I got to go back, because I didn't make it to the Impressionist Museum, because I, I spend so much time walking through and just, like, I, she she looked at me at one point. It wasn't the Mona Lisa. It was one of the bigger pieces of, uh, of Napoleon, and I started crying. Uh, the uh, Venus de Milo was the other one. I stood at that and I started crying. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is like masterworks stuff that, you know, I, it, it just was moving to me because it was to be in the presence of something that that, that had that much history and significance to it. It really gets me. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like uh, when, because I'm not going to say if, when in my lifetime, I actually get to see a, a Van Van Gogh in person, that that will be an emotional experience for me because his work is uh, very, uh, it speaks yeah. to me. Yeah, um, me too. You know, uh, on that note, who are some of your favorite artists? Van Gogh is one of them. I mean, sure. a lot of the, the a lot of the masters, and um, I'm my. I have a horrible memory for all the names. So Van Gogh is, is, is definitely one of them. Degas is another one that I really appreciate. Um, I think it's, I think the Impressionist, I, I, I like the Michelangelo's and some of the earlier work, master work is brushed. But when he got to the Impressionist, that's where, that's where I kind of, I sink more to it. When it gets more to abstract art, I'm, I appreciate it. I understand it, but it doesn't speak to me the same way. But the Impressionist, what they were trying to do um, Vermeer was another one too, before impressionist, but just his ability to <clears throat> capture light. Like a lot of yeah. the impressionists, just uh, yeah, we got to go to Giberny when I was was in France too, and um, yeah, it, amazing work. And I, 
I can't do it. I can't paint like that, but I certainly, I certainly love watching it or lo enjoying it, looking at it. Yeah, uh, agreed. Definitely. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm a kind of an art history. I, I don't want to say I'm an art history buff because there's so much more I can learn, but I love art history and I listen to a podcast called uh, Art Curious, and there are times when I'm listening to that podcast, I just get so inspired listening to the stories of all these amazing artists, and I'm just like, wow, it's so fascinating, and they're 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 working through, you know, some of the hardest times in, in the world, you know, and here I am bitching about things when I have social media at my fingertips, and yeah. I can go to the art store. I'm not having to make my own paints. You know, and I'm like, God damn, Tyler, get your shit together. Why are you bitched about things? So, and I think I like the impressionists so much because they really they weren't appreciated by their contemporaries. Yeah, they, yep. know, they were shunned, and they were still like, "Screw you, we're going forward." They started their own, having their own shows, and they started doing their own thing, and they they created the movement behind them. Um, yeah, even though the contemporary artists didn't didn't think they had any value in what they were doing, and I that's kind of that punk rock feel of you know like screw the establishment, I'm going forward, we're going to do this anyways. Right, Thanks to the fucking world, right? You just got to right. do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, let's see here. Oh, some of the things that inspire you as an artist, I think you've covered that quite a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you said you went to college originally, but you didn't go for art. What, what did you originally go to college for? Law and justice degree with a minor in psychology. Law and justice My original degree. plan was going to be to go into FBI, CIA, or to become like a federal marshal. Okay. You, you're just going to be straight men in black. That's that's what I was going for. I I've always been fascinated by puzzles, and so um, crime scene investigation always interested me. I always was into that. You know, being able as a detective to come in and look at something and put pieces together and try to figure out what was going on. I was very interested in that, so I was pursuing that as a career, mostly because I knew that that would pay. That that's a job you could get, you could get paid at, and you could have a career right. doing that, and you could retire doing that, and you'd be just fine. But uh, when I got out of there, I was playing in bands, and I kind of realized, like, and my wife wasn't really into it. She's like, I don't know if I, I was kind of dating her a little bit at the, at the time, and she's like, I, I don't know if I would be married to a cop. I don't know if I could take that stress. And I kind of decided, you know what, is as interested as I am in this, I'm more driven by the art side of things, by the creativity. And the right. detective work isn't going to be as creative. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't see you as a detective. I mean, I, I just feel like you're way too nice of a guy. <laughs> good cop, bad cop, man. I, I'm I a mean, good cop in the bad cop series. That's right. And I think, you know, every single one of your videos, for the most part, you start out with something that's funny you, you you're yeah. always cracking a joke your facial expressions uh i you know i just you know i i look forward to seeing your videos because i know that i'm going to get a chuckle or i'm going to be belly laughing at something you've said well, yeah so. and it's like it's like throughout the video too it's like the beginning and then there's something else thrown in the middle for a little flare and then the ending so it's it's throughout the whole thing man that you're always like when i was i was uh con or 
wanting to do that little that little video that I did like with uh, Sean Donahue, I wanted to do the same thing with yours, and I knew it wasn't gonna be hard at all to find like uh, content for me to actually just ask questions. <laughs> and the idea, I unfortunately didn't do it in time, and I re I'm really sorry. But the idea was to have you ask you questions and you not answer them at all. Like just jokingly <laughs> just say nonsense. Like, okay. And then I'd ask another question and you say something at random. I'm like, all right. But then it would, the ending was supposed to be like, well, if you guys really want to hear him answer these questions, hit, hit up the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, yeah, man, there's no, you, you'd crack me up on all your videos. Well, I, and I first joined TikTok. Because my kids were on it when it was just and they were doing lip syncing. And so I was on there being stupid and I would like talk to my dog and just do dumb stuff. And then it kind of <laughs> became this thing to me where I look at it as I always have these jokes. I tell myself that I crack myself up. I don't like my family don't find them funny anymore because they know me. As soon as my mouth starts to move, my kids start rolling their eyes and walk out the door because they know ah. something really dumb is coming or some dad jokes <laughs> coming and they don't. In fact, they warn their friends, like, do not laugh at him because you're going to encourage him and he's going to keep telling these jokes. <laughs> and then I crack their friends up and they're like, oh, my God, you're doing it. But I, I started shooting these videos to like stuff that I found funny or something I would think of that I thought was funny. I'm like, eh, I'm just going to put it there. Whether anybody else thinks it's funny or not, I don't really care. I'm just this is the old, this is the, the conversations I have in my head. I'm going to put them on TikTok. <laughs> I, I love it. You. <laughs> You're you're super genuine on TikTok and you're super positive and you you have a you have a great channel with what you, what you put out. Like when you're doing the the videos where you're t like you're duetting the videos that people are doing, like they're fucking up their art pieces. Those yeah. crack me up. <laughs> that was those the one that went me. viral for me, and I didn't know what to do about it. And I'm like. This is, I would rather go viral for actually doing the art and not just commenting on some my my dumb. And it's funny because I recorded that. I was at work on a weekend. I saw that video. I recorded it at work. Um, and then, like, the next morning, I'm like, ah, like, Sunday morning at, like, 6 a.m., I posted that thing. And then three days later, it was going viral. And I'm like, what is happening here? I don't understand this. And like yeah. people started following me and I'm like, this is really weird. And I, I had a moment where I thought about pulling it down because I was like, I don't I don't know if I want to go viral. I don't know if I really because like I'm good with the people that I've met on here and I've connected with and sure. talking to and all that. I like yeah. I'm not looking for huge numbers. I'm like just looking for a good community. So I ended up leaving it up, which was fine. I think it topped out at like one point two million, which even my wife after that started joining TikTok just to see my videos because she's like, why are people following you? <laughs> like, I don't understand this. Yeah, my wife's like, my wife would be like, you're not that funny. How come people think you're funny? That's what my wife would be telling me. So, David, correct me if I'm wrong, man, but I remember you posted one of that, the type that Tyler was saying, but it was you doing all this stuff, right? I yeah I did that where I was making it and then I called myself out for doing bad yeah, artwork. You know? That's a, see another thing I was just sitting there one day and I this this thing comes into my head I'm like why don't I just call myself out for destroying work and so I just <laughs> go in there like I take ten minutes I shoot the thing and then I'm done and that's that's usually how I like to do it I don't I mean I make a lot of uh, gaffes and I misspeak when I'm doing my videos because I don't spend a lot of time trying to edit it my my whole thing is like if I can't do this in a couple of minutes and get it out there then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend hours editing it and go through all this extra work. I yeah, just for sure. I, I want to make it quick and down and dirty and just get it done. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I want to talk to you about your character that you're creating, Kid Cthulhu. Kid Cthulhu. Can you go into uh, Kid Cthulhu a little bit? Well, I was doing, uh, I think I was doing a live and I was drawing him and I just come up again, listening to some music, just drawing stuff. And you always see the, you know, old Cthulhu, the, the master, the old, you know, the old gods. And um, I started drawing him and thought it would be funny. I'm like, well, they have the, they have the little baby. I see little cute baby Cthulhu's, but there's no like teen teenager. And I've got, I've got three teenagers in my house right now. So there's a <laughs> lot of attitude. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of inspiration to draw from, and so the the whole idea was Kid Cthulhu was like I'm gonna draw this guy that first of all he came to Earth and uh, he picked up a flute because he saw Jeff Roll Toll playing it. He thought that was the most rocking instrument he could pick up, so he's gonna be playing the flute. Um, and then um, it's him trying to do the right thing and trying to do good, and then just screwing stuff up all the time. And evil right. happens whether he wants it to or not. He doesn't really want it to. And that's kind of what I think teenagers are like. Like they're out there really trying to do good and things just keep on getting screwed up anyways. And that's just the way life goes. So I've been, I started drawing him and I, that's another goal for this year. I want to start doing some comics with him and doing some, some more work with him. Now, are you wanting to do like a, like a web comic with him or actually like, I don't know comic? yet. I maybe a web comic. I'd like to kind of explore that Avenue. And I kind of like these ideas of short, like either single panel or just like two or three panel comics. Um, okay. I really like single panel comics, but those I've been trying and those are more difficult than they look like being able to sure. condense a joke or an idea down to one still image um, is hard. So yeah. I would like to try that. It's, it's, you know, it's setting goals for yourself and pushing yourself in a direction, whether you get there or not, at least it's that growth that I'm looking for. Definitely. Uh, now I'm going to go back to comics because you have um, you've talked about comic books quite a bit. Now I'm a comic nerd. You are a comic nerd. What are some of your favorite uh, like comic creators? Uh, well, you've got your. Jeez, uh, uh, I just blanked. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, I want to say Stan Lee, but that's like an easy answer that covers a lot of ground. But your uh, Bashimas and Adams and McFarlands and all these guys that did art, um, especially in the 80s and 90s when Image broke off and you had all this like, there's this huge bloom of creativity. And yeah. I grew up reading these from like the 70s where you'd walk down to 7-Eleven and pick up your comic for 25 cents off the rack. I remember like getting the original Secret Wars and that was incredible to me, you know. And be able to read all that. Um, and then in the 90s, when you had just this huge boom, unfortunately, there was a bust, too, that came right after it. But a lot yeah. of creativity, a lot of artists out there doing some really cool stuff. Um, and I, my brother and I both collected, but we ended up with, um, I think I've got, <laughs> it's another bane of my wife's existence. I've got like 40 long boxes full of comics still. Damn. 40. So at one point I had every Iron Man up from the first one all the way to current. I had like X-Men 95 or 94 all the way to current. And I have, I collect a lot of Batman, a lot of Spider-Man. I fed the dog. Sorry, I had to answer my wife. Our dog's diabetic. He needs a shot and insulin or he, or he doesn't do well. But uh, so yeah, we did, I had Batman and Spider-Man were kind of my two favorite anchors that I read. Uh, but I read a little bit of everything. It was a, Avengers and 
and uh, X-Men, of course. And so um, even the Akira, the Akira comic book before it was made into a movie, a lot of that stuff too, that we, we collected and, and I still have copies of everything. I don't know what to do with them, but <laughs> I can't read. Wow. Them. I don't have time. Wow. That's, that's 40 long boxes. What, what, what does a long box hold? 300 books? That's about 300 books. Yeah. That's a lot of books, David. There's yeah. a lot of books down there. No yeah. wonder your wife, uh, wife is going, come on. That's like a pallet worth. That's like two pallets worth of long every, boxes. Every time we move, I bring all those comics with us. And so she's like, you are hauling these. I'm not touching them. So I have to move everything myself. That's yeah. an investment, though. That's a huge investment. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure is. that a lot of those comics, if not all of them, are already worth more than what they were when you picked them up. Well, if you got Iron Man number one, I mean, yeah, there's your retirement right there, brother. Right? It could be. <laughs> and eventually, I'm going to go through and actually grade them and, and sell them off. But, but I kind of have them. There's certain comics I pulled to the side. Like a lot of my Batman runs and Spider-Man stuff, where I don't have any, I have no plans on selling them. Like those are oh, solid dear. books that I go back to for art reference and reading. So all, all the right. other stuff I may put up for sale, but there's there's at least about four or five of those boxes where I don't I don't plan on getting rid of them. And now I just invest in graphic novels anyway. So yeah, I I, I collect comics, but I don't read the comics. I wait till the graphic novel hits, then I buy the graphic novel. Because I like to have the individual issues because they tend to be worth more, but mm -hmm. I don't I don't like to crack them open because I'm just finicky like that. Well, um, my, my collecting ended mid '90s when they started doing all these variant foil covers and everything, and then trying mm -hmm. to make everything collectible, and they crashed the market. Yeah. And I had been collecting like multiple comics and stuff, thinking the stuff was all going to be worth worth a lot of money, and then a lot of it, like uh, was it? Variant comics, I forget the name of it. There's a couple of them. Valiant, the comp Valiant. They had they're worth a ton of money, and then they went to like a quarter a piece because everybody flooded the market and dumped them. And at that point, I kind of put my hands up and said, "I'm done." And it's also when Peter Parker came back, and he was the clone, and wasn't never really the real Spider-Man. And I went, "Oh my God, are you serious?" And I I kind of quit. <laughs> I went to Independent. That's when I picked up like Hellboy and started reading Independent stuff. I kind of gave up on the big boys. Hellboy was Dark Horse, right? Yeah. Okay, so and Dark Horse is out of Portland. Yep. Yeah. And then yeah, I like Dark Horse, Vertigo, Image, but Vertigo has since kind of uh because you know, Vertigo's the redheaded stepchild of DC. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> more risque, but they just really they, they rebranded it as DC Black. So Oh, I heard about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I think they're releasing all the Sandman books under DC Black now. Another great series. Oh my god, it's so good. I cannot wait for that series to hit Netflix to see what they do with it. I'm already excited. Like Patton Oswalt is uh, voices one of the I can't remember the Raven's name in it, but he does the voice oh. of the Raven. <laughs> um, yeah. What would be your holy grail comic book? My holy grail. Probably a Batman number one. Detective Comics number one. Detective Comics number one. Like, and having that origin of Batman. That's, <clears throat> even with Spider-Man, Batman has always been my... And I think, you know, between the two of those, I was, I was talking to my kids about this because I talk comics all the time, whether they're listening or not. Especially after we saw um, 
far from home. And I said, these two guys, I think I connected with them because they were, they were street level heroes. They had Mm -hmm. their own problems. You know, Batman was a billionaire, so there's a lot less problem, but he had a lot of his own. Batman was never, never the superpower. So it was always about his wits and his grit and just his, his whole drive to, keep fighting it but the other two that they both had is they both had their rogues gallery that made them yeah. that much more interesting they had their Agreed. not just the jokers but it's the you know um the sandman or or vulture or or Scarecrow or all, all these different uh, mr freeze is still one of my favorite villains that you could really relate to like he's a sure. bad guy but you, you get it you get why right. you're doing it super underrated yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I feel like with uh, Spider-Man, and because I'm, I'm actually right there with you, David, if I had to pick, Spider-Man and, and Batman are definitely not only two of my favorite uh, superheroes, but like just universes in a whole. Um, and you're right, it has to do with a lot with their rogue gallery, and they're almost like very close um, to each other. So like you have the Joker, if I had to pick someone from uh, Spider-Man that would be that, would definitely be Green Goblin. Uh, just because of you know their rivalry and what they mean to each other, you got that com- like total chaos, and you got the wholesomeness of of Peter Parker. So I, I feel that. And then Sandman, I would probably say uh, Clayface or something would be something mm-hmm. close to there. Um, Kingpin, I know Kingpin's not really like all Spider Man, more Daredevil, but Kingpin would probably be like your your Penguin and so on and so on. But yeah, they got yeah, yeah, very and Killer Croc and. Oh, we started talking comic books, and people were like, "I'm out." (laughs) 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 All right, guys, we'll stop talking comic books. Uh, But I do have questions from you know fans of yours. Yeah. Uh Uh, This one comes from Steph at Wanderlust Commissions. And she was asked, what is your favorite dad joke? My favorite dad joke? Yes. I don't know about dad joke, but I have I have one of my favorite jokes, and it's not safe for work. That's why I never told anything. Okay. <laughs> well, my favorite dad joke is three guys walking, three guys, uh, t- two Dang, now I'm gonna mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the joke? I know, right? That, that is. I could so two guys walk into a bar. The third guy turns to him and said, "Why didn't you use a door?" <laughs> dad joke. So my other favorite, my other favorite joke is uh, the parents that are talking and they said, "You know, our, our kids swear all the time. They won't stop swearing. I don't know what to do. We've we punished them. We've taken away that. We've done everything we can to get them to stop swearing, and they will not do it." What do I want? What, what should we do? And the mom says, look, at, next time they come down and they they swear, I'm just going to slap them hard. I'm going to I have to do it. There's no there's no other option. Dad says, all right, I, I'm in. So two kids come down for breakfast the next morning. Mom turns to the first kid and says, what do you want for breakfast? And he goes, I want some fucking pancakes. So she just slaps him hard, drops him to the ground. She turns to the second kid and goes, what do you want? And he said, I sure as hell don't want no fucking pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, that's I like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that was a good one, man. <laughs> that was good. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, uh, you answered your question about the teapots because that was another one. 
how did you come up with that concept? So, uh, but Robin from Tinkering Robin had asked you what that was, but um, Kim from Water Plus Inc. says, since you did teapots for 2021, what is your next daily sketch for 2022? So the net, so I think what I'm going to do, I'm not picking an object or doing it this way. Um, sketchbooks have always been ingrained into me on drawing and that idea of drawing every day. Uh -huh. So now I'm just going to fill a sketchbook every month. So I want to be able to fill one with random drawings, stocks, and all that, and use that as a vehicle to work on these different projects that I have ideas for. Okay. The sketchbooks I have are 60 pages, so it means at least two pages of drawing a day where I'm either sketching objects or sketching ideas towards those uh, projects. So that's the goal that, for this year. That will take you away from your digital a little bit more, I'm assuming. It will. I think I'm still going to be doing digital. I'll probably use the sketchbooks as the start of digital pieces. But, um, yeah, it gets me drawing some more. Nice. Yeah. Now, I, I know you do a lot of digital work as well as the traditional work. Uh, do you prefer traditional or digital or, or is it kind of a convenience thing where you like, I think you take your iPad and sketch while you're like commuting, correct? Yeah, I ride the light rail into work a lot. So the iPad can come out and I can do a lot of drawing there pretty easily. And then it's forgiving. So if I hit a bump and make a mistake, I can undo and then redo a line. So um, sure. I, you know, I, it, a lot of it is mood. Sometimes I just feel like I want to get in and do something digital because there is some things I can do digitally that I can't do sketching quickly and you can get it done fast. Even if you're going to do t-shirt designs and all that, it's much easier to do it digitally and then yeah. upload it as a design rather than trying to get a photograph of the artwork and clean it up and go through the whole process. You can just get it digitally and get through it. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen your kid Cthulhu digitally and uh, as well as traditionally and i gotta say i mean they, they both look really good there's definitely a different vibe between the two of them but they translates well either or yeah. uh, and i'm sure that like with with digital it, you know it makes it a lot easier if you were to do a web comic with it because you had you know you, you have that right there Yes, uh, Amy just mentioned uh, Mad Magazine, which is another. I mean, I'm sure you guys grew up with that. I grew up with that thing too. That was a ton, a ton of influence from that. You know, I I I grew up with it. I didn't read it a whole lot. Um, you know, one of my influences was like uh, Garbage Pail Kids, mm -hmm, the Garbage Pail mm -hmm. Kids cards. I mean, I still those, have my set. Yeah, I have a ton of them. I love I started, those. I started buying them as an adult because I didn't have any from my childhood, but I, I've got a bunch. <laughs> I, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this um, because, you know, different generations here almost. But old, you can say it, that's okay. <laughs> but like when I was in middle school, um, there was a, the Pokemon was huge, right? Pokemon was everywhere. It was a trading card game and all that. Um, and there was, uh, I want to say it was probably made by the same people that did the garbage, garbage pale kids. Um, but there were cards called Pukemon, and it was the same concept. Uh, but they had like iconic Pokemon that everyone knew with like mm -hmm. stupid names, like uh, Pikachu's. One of the only ones I actually remember. Pikachu's name was uh, changed to Pikachu, and so he was like, yeah, he's like poking his nose. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, okay. I remember those really distinctly. Like, wow. <laughs> I had never... I mean, Pokemon was kind of like after my my school days, so I never really got into it. I know of it. I mean, Pokemon Go came out in the last, what, six, seven years, and that kind of yeah. re-exploded that for a lot of people. Yep. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to play Pokemon Go. And then my wife and I are just driving around so she could fucking play, and I'm like, this sucks. We just the go kids. slower. You gotta go slower. I'm like, the point is to get out and walk. Exactly. <laughs> um, Carrie from Crazy Country, she asked, where do you find time for yourself to find inspiration with all the stuff that you have going on in your life? Because, you know, you work a full-time job, you have three kids at home, you're constantly, I mean, I feel like you're always doing something and, but you're always creating at the same time. So I'm like, uh, are you a time traveler or what's going on with you? It's the magic power of ADD. ADD, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I sometimes I have to force myself. So at work, you know, I have lunch breaks and uh, and just regular breaks. And I'll sometimes I'll go outside or that's when I pop on and look at things. And um, I think it was another, I had a really great instructor uh, at the Art Institute um, that was talking about the whole idea of inspiration and artists saying, well, I'm going to wait until I get inspired and then I'm going to create something. And he kept making the point, like, that's not how, a business works like if you're going to be an artist that you want to get paid you can't wait until you have inspiration you have to create it like you have to work to do that and sometimes that's a grind and sometimes it's not and so i i found this the drawing every day and creating um even if i'm just sketching and starting to make shapes and lines and i don't feel it a lot of the time as you're working something will start to come to you or listening to music or watching a movie or something will happen and then I've just got notebooks of ideas where I've written down something that comes to mind. And so if I feel like the well's dry or running dry, I flip back through old ideas until I run across something like, oh, yeah, I had this. That, that would be kind of and then start kind of, you know, fleshing that out and trying to to do that. And so, um, yeah, I sometimes you just have to force it. And, and it's it's again, it's that expectations thing, right? It's not spending an hour doing it. It's like, I'm going to spend 15 minutes doing it. And that's all the time I have today, but that's enough. I'm going to do something in 15 minutes. Sure. No, I like that. I mean, uh, I, you know, I'm sure some of your daily teapots took more than 15 minutes, but uh, you know, some of them were, I'm sure we're just like, I got to get something out today. And some of it was, some of it was literally like me throwing water on a, just throwing water and then starting to put color down into some shape until something struck me. And I said, Oh, I haven't done this with it before. And then I would take off, but it was just like, I got to do something and just making that process, forcing yeah. it to start. Sure. Um, Taylor from fighting chance arts. She asked with your digital art, what do you use to work on and what program do you use? And then she also asked, what is your workflow like? workflow so i use uh, procreate on an ipad pro um which is i i back in the day back in the old days uh, <laughs> i i had photoshop and a computer you know with the the cintiq where you were drawing in the cintiq and looking at the screen and disconnected from it um and kind of got good in photoshop and then gave that up for a long time and when i came back with the technology of you know i'd love to get like a big cintiq wacom 
uh, you know, tablet to write on, but the Procreate was like 15 bucks for Procreate. Um, and the setup was the cheapest setup. I, and it, if you've ever used Photoshop, it was very intuitive. I got in there and started creating immediately with it. Like, oh, I, I get how to work with this. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of times my workflow, I'll start, I have layers of just sketches that I start working on. I'm trying to work like a, a first layer of a rush sketch. Usually use like a blue or red pen, uh, red pen color because mm -hmm. again, that's how I drew. That's how I draw naturally um, or traditionally was using like photo, photo blue or red. Um, and then I usually come back and start putting passes of um, lines on top of it until I can kind of um, hit what I want. Another thing I learned too is you your initial sketch. I never try to draw the exact same line. I use it as a rough guide of what I'm trying to do. So the second and third passes with uh, my inking are all um, variations of it, but I'm not trying to replicate it because I want it to feel kind of, I'm trying to capture that as much of a natural feel as I can. And then I start putting sure. in color and effects and then I end up with a whole bunch of unnamed layers and I don't know where I put things and I get frustrated. That's usually, I always remind myself I can name my layers and then I forget to and then I draw on the wrong layer and you know, it is what it is. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't need my layers either. Um, and Oh, don't even the, the frustration, right. Of doing your outline and then uh, putting color in and completely forgetting that you're not on your color layer. It's right. Oh, it's like, so frustrating. The, the thing I did find that the, one of the useful tips I got from somebody is I will always duplicate my line layer. So I color inside of the line layer, and then I have a second line layer on top of that. So if I mess up any of those, I always have that as the backup to lay on top of everything to keep my lines clean. That's smart. That's so smart. And I learned that on TikTok again, right? So finding artists that were using um, Procreate on TikTok and then picking up little tricks on how they did things. I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. You know, I, <laughs> I learned a lot that way. Nice. Uh, yeah, I pick up a lot of stuff from TikTok and inspiration and things like that as well. Uh, not digitally, because I don't do that. Uh, I would like to try it sometime, but uh, it scares me. <laughs> I feel like computers just scare me in general. Um, but I got a few more questions here before we get off here. Uh, start wrapping up. We're, we are over the hour mark, and I'm sure you want to go spend time with your family. Um, <laughs> Wonder Nugget says he still doesn't name his layers either, so I don't feel so bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. I think Wonder Nugget also asked if I went to the Art Institute of Seattle, and I did. That's where I graduated from. All right, on. Um, what is your ultimate goal with your art career? I don't know if I have an ultimate career. I mean, I, I guess the goal would be to be able to quit my nine to five and have enough income and have enough um, projects that I'm working on that I can I can support. You know hit the same support as I do with my wife right now and, and be able to not have to go punch in a time clock somewhere. Sure. Yeah. Um, my Definitely. next question would be, where do you see yourself in 10 years with your art? <laughs> well, so uh, I want to, well, I want to have a couple of uh, children's books out. I want to be able to have a graphic novel, um, uh, at least a couple of graphic novels of stories that I've done. Uh, this year, I want to start exploring gouache and doing some kind of abstract art, but inspired by landscapes. Um, there's a few artists I follow like that that I've always I've always admired, and so I went and bought some gouache, and I want to start playing with that too. So, I think if anything, in ten years, I hope 
I've just kept pushing myself that I've, I've been able to take my career or my art in a direction that I didn't, I didn't think it would go in. I, if you had asked me three years ago, are you going to be drawing teapots every day? I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm never doing that. I don't drink tea. Oh, why would I drink a teapot? I'm not going to draw a teapot. What the hell? That's but great. I did it. So, you know, I, I hope in 10 years I'm just I'm somewhere else I didn't expect and enjoying what I'm doing um, and just plugging away at it. You know, I, I was going to suggest to you, if you hadn't chose a theme for 2022, that you should just go back through all your daily teapots and do a cup for every teapot, a teacup for every teapot. You never know. And, you know, I've done with the daily challenge, but the problem with the daily teapot is now whenever I see an object, I start transforming it into how can I turn that into a teapot? <laughs> so I think there's still going to be some teapots showing up every once in a while because I can't get that out of my head now. You can know just make a book. You can just make a book of all the teapots. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'd like to do. I, I'm exploring some ideas, but I do want to make something with that. I mean, because there's you have so many of them that people would definitely find that intriguing. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, you, you're you have 365, and you're probably going to add to it, so you have a lot of content there. Um, well, I think it, I have some stuff that I learned along the way. You know, not yeah. just art techniques, but yeah. about my own my own process and about things. And if there's anything I can share to help somebody else, it would be interesting to be able to get that into into some book or something to be able to share that. Yeah. Um, what is some advice you would give to your younger self about art? I would have told myself to ignore anyone that told you that you can't make money at it and that um, to throw away plan B. So, you know, when I was doing music or doing art, I always had these backup jobs like, well, I'll go to be a police officer. That's my plan B. And I would have told myself, like, throw that, throw that shit away. Don't don't have a plan B, have a plan A and just go plug away at it. And that's what I've told my kids. It's like, go find out what you want to do. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about where it's going to go. If you like doing it enough and you apply yourself, you'll get somewhere with it. You may have some downtime and some struggles, but to get out there and actually just go for it. And I, I think yeah. I would have kicked myself in the butt and told myself at that point, like, go to art school or go do something else. Don't don't do that plan B. Just dive in and start spending time and get serious with it. Yeah, uh, I, I would have loved to have seen where, where your career would have went and you kept kept going with it at a younger age because, you know, we very well could have been like reading your graphic novels, Marco and I. Yeah, um, or your comics in a in a newspaper or something like that, because I, I look at your work and I'm just like, I'm like, man, I I wish that I had as much talent in that you have in your little pinky for in my whole body. So I mean, I'm just like, well, thanks. I, I think the same when I got look at your guys' work, and I it, I'm always impressed by what you're what you're doing. Yeah. I appreciate that, David, but for real, man, like, I don't feel like I'm anywhere near your skill. I mean, I look at your stuff, and first of all, I'm like, why hasn't he uh, brought out, like, done a, a comic book? Like, you were talking about Calvin and Hobbes earlier. I remember oh, having a collection, like a graphic novel, if you will, a huge little long, almost um, uh, landscape-esque uh, 
book of Calvin and Hobbes. I'm like, why doesn't he have something like this? Which, by the way, if you ever do bring this out, I'm going to be super stoked because I'm going to be the first in line to grab a David Catcherside Kid Cthulhu comic or collection, if you will. But yeah, no, I'm down. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it, um, it's, we all have these, uh, you know, these voices that we get either in our own heads or taught to us that like, you don't know what you're doing. I remember showing like my portfolio at the time to this artist that I really respected. He's like, yeah, it's okay, but I don't think you're going to go anywhere with that. And that was like a soul crushing four or five years where I almost quit art and I just quit doing, doing stuff because that hit hard, you know? And that's one, one of the reasons why I choose to use my platform trying to be positive because I think that's a load of crap. I, I think anyone yeah. that wants to do this can do it. Uh, an art instructor tell me if you can draw your signature, I can teach you how to draw. Doesn't mean you're going to be a master. Doesn't mean you're going to be the Leonardo da Vinci, but you certainly can be an artist and do what you want to and be successful. And so um, having anybody telling them, discouraging them or telling them to stop what they're doing is a bunch of crap. I, it, if people want to be an artist and they want to do it, they need to just get in there and do it. It's just, it's time and it's passion is what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I claim that title as an artist, but there's a children's book that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And I finally just came to the realization that I don't think I can do exactly what I want. So I talked to you and was like, bro, would you be wanting, wanting want to do this with me? And cause I think your style with what you do and your vision, you could take what I want to do. And I, I know that you would do it complete justice where I would be fucking throwing paper after paper after paper in the circular file because I would be I, would, I have no hair left okay I don't have anything else to play. So, uh, you know and, and that's like you know I, I respect your art so much that I know that if I have something that I have in my mind if I put it down you're going to be able to be like okay I got an idea for that and I know that you're going to come back with something and I'm going to be fuck dude this is way better than I even thought it could be and I love and, collaborating. That's that's yeah. I, I get a ton of inspiration working with other artists and, and bouncing that. I I always have like that. Yeah, I'm sure the collab. Look at the collab we're doing. And like when yeah. I got when I first saw the video, I was already like, oh oh no, because I was next. <laughs> and then I was like, it's fine, it's fine. I got this. And then I had it on my table. And then I finally opened the thing, full confidence in what I was gonna do. And then I roll it out and I look at it and I was like. I gotta scrap. I gotta scrap my idea. This is no. This is gonna kill this. I gotta do something else. <laughs> so just looking at it physically, man, was enough for me to go. My idea is stupid. I need to do something better because I cannot mess this piece up with David's masterwork right here. I can't. I can't do well, it. And you don't know how long I looked at a blank piece of paper because I went through and looked at all the other artists and I'm like, oh my god, there is a lot of talented artists in here. Like I can't screw this up. I don't know. And I sat there looking at it, trying to figure out what to do because I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to start this off uh, on a bad foot. And I, so I, I'm glad you added great, great stuff to it. And I, as it goes down the road, I'm, I, I can't wait to see how this thing turns out. Well, you know, when I put this together, I knew I, I had, I didn't want to start it. I wanted you to start it because I knew that you would start it out strong and give it a great direction. And with this being uh, something that was going to be raffled off for a charity that you were a part of, it would, it would be that much more special. 
yeah. to, for us to be able to follow suit in that. So I knew like, like that, that was like, you're my first choice. I knew that that like, it was you and then Marco. And then I started piecing everybody else together. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited to see how this evolves and how it's going to go. Um, Micah, I think is feeling the same way Marco did <laughs> right now. Like he was on, you know, he's like, I don't know what the fuck to do, you guys. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of think that's where inspiration comes from. Sometimes you get your yeah. back yeah. up against the wall, and you got to start your wheels turning, and you're yep. thinking and thinking, and that's where you come up with some new idea or you push yourself beyond what you were able to do before. It was the same thing when I played in bands. Like I remember practicing like drum fills and not being able to do them, and then you get live. And you're in that moment and suddenly like it all connects. And you're like, oh my God, I just did that. I couldn't do that yeah. last week. And like you take that next that next step up and you just keep improving and getting better. Definitely. It's just, you're absolutely right. But like the problem I had, and I didn't anticipate for this because it's never really happened to me, is the fact that I had that time frame before you sending it off to think about what I was going to do. You talk about inspiration. I was inspired. I was like, oh, I know what to do, man. Underwater. Cool. I got this. This will be really cool because we're all comic geeks. I'm going to do this. And then I get it and look at it. And I was like, I lost it. There was the inspiration <laughs> was gone. And I was just like, I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, but no, I really, uh, what I did like is looking at it and actually changing the direction because, um, and I, and I know we talked about this already and you didn't really have a, like an actual endpoint that you wanted, but you, you wanted, you had like this idea that you were telling me. And the idea was ultimately what we wanted out of it is, is how I understood it. Like, but what I got out of it when I first saw it or when not actually, when I pulled it out and I saw it was that whole music aspect. And I was like, oh, I understand what David meant when he was telling me that. And so that was part of the reason why I honestly had to rethink my idea and then I told Tyler my original idea, and he was like, "No, you still gotta, you still gotta do it with, you still gotta go with that." So I'm like, "Okay, fine. Now I gotta incorporate Starro into this, after all." And so that's why he's kind of like in the corner. All it worked perfect. Wrong. It worked perfect. <laughs> it, it looks amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm so excited. Like just the two of you getting it started, and where it looks now, I just can't even imagine how more epic it's gonna get over time. Yeah. So, uh, but I have one more question for you before we jump off here, because we are uh, we're, we're pushing the, the <laughs> limits here. Um, what advice do you have for any young artists who might will be listening now or in the future? Draw constantly, like just draw. Um, don't care what you're drawing. Draw shoes. Draw draw whatever, and don't be afraid to grab comic books and copy other artists that you respect. Cause that's how you learn. I mean, I think a lot of my art is a culmination of different artists that I picked up things like, Oh, that, I like how that guy draws his noses or that's kind of a cool man. I just pick up things from everywhere. And I think, you know, like they say no originality. And I think as artists, we are kind of built from our past and all the artists that we've run in and come in contact with. And we yeah. pick and choose things out of those artists that speak to us. And that's how we form a style or go a direction. So you can't get there until you've really touched all this different art and tried different things and drawn. And so it's like tracing stuff. I, so what trace it, learn how the line flow is supposed to work. Um, and that would be my advice is just, is just draw, draw and try all sorts of stuff and wait. 
don't try to create your style. Your style will find you eventually if you just keep drawing or yeah. keep creating. Absolutely. That's great advice. Yeah, just make art every day. Absolutely. All right. Marco, any other questions from you before we close this out? No, I think we've done quite a bit, and uh, I think this turned out very, very well. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank everybody for hanging out and, uh, you know, watching this live. And, David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I mean, it's always great talking to you. Um, but being able to, to be able to sit here and talk more in depth has been fucking amazing. But I'm going to leave you guys to paint the fucking world. And y'all stay rebellious. Have a good night, everybody. Y'all come and go, but the state of mind remains.